Welcome to the Equipers Church Budapest podcast. We hope today's message will encourage and inspire you. For more information, check equiperschurch.au. We're going to start a series tonight that we are simply calling This is Getting Real. This is Getting Real. Uh, and we're going to talk about discipleship for the next few Sundays. Uh, this is getting real. I'm going to talk about this uh, tonight. We're going to unpack the subject of discipleship in our church. And then um, we're going to follow through this series in the next few weeks. Uh, you know, it sounds simple. Being a disciple is a big word for Christians. It is a common word for Christians. Uh, if, if I would ask the question, who is a disciple of Jesus, I would assume most of you would raise your hands. Because we consider ourselves disciples of Jesus. But I'm going to unpack this uh, tonight. And I believe that this may be one of the most important series we have ever done in this church. And it's definitely something that I consider incredibly important for this year. Because, you know, we are called to make disciples. Jesus uh, sent us, he, he uh, gave us the mission of making disciples of all nations. And I love the fact that we have many nations represented in the house. And that is our mission, equipping people for life through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, making disciples. Uh, I, yeah, um, just a bit of history, uh, a bit of historical background. Um, Because we don't, we don't normally use the word disciple in common day language. Neither in Hungarian or in English. We don't really use the word disciple as a everyday language. We don't say, uh, I'm a disciple of this politician or I'm a disciple of this uh, famous figure. We don't use that type of uh, language. So I have to explain a little bit of the historical background on this word. Disciples were devoted followers of important teachers, rabbis, religious leaders, and philosophers. So uh, basically, trendsetters and thinkers had a following that would be normally labeled or normally called disciples. It was the dream of every Jewish boy to become a rabbi. Uh, every Jewish boy had this dream, this idea, one day I'm going to be a rabbi. I'm going to be a teacher of God's law. Uh, and so um, the idea was that most Jewish boys by the age of six, they were able to memorize the book of Leviticus um, by, by memory and basically the whole of Torah. So basically the first five books of the Bible Many of the Jewish boys by the age of six, they were able to uh, memorize big chunks. And then by the age of 12, they were able to memorize Torah and they were expect expected to have the ability to ask questions. That's why when Jesus was at the temple at the age of 12... Uh, the teachers of the law, they were surprised that he was able to ask questions, but he was also able to discuss them and provide answers. That was the shocking part. It wasn't shocking that Jesus knew the scripture. Every Jewish boy was supposed to, he was expected to know the scriptures. And then from the age of 12 all the way to the age of 
30, uh, the, the Jewish boy was supposed to be in a discipleship school. He was supposed to basically live a lifestyle of learning the theory, the philosophy, the religious, uh, the religious teaching of his rabbi. Um, and then at the time of his public baptism, uh, there, was a, there was a change of social status and he would officially become a rabbi. Uh, and that's basically what happens to Jesus. He is publicly, publicly baptized. And he becomes uh, publicly authorized by God to be a leader. So that was very much in the context of what was the Jewish culture of those days. And we would say that a rabbi without disciples is simply a monk. A rabbi who doesn't have any following is simply a monk. Um, Yes, yeah, so that was the historical culture when Jesus talked about disciples. When he called disciples, it was a very common thing, unlike we have today. Um, and, and a rabbi would often come to his disciples, even those who were early, you know, young, 12-year-olds, 16-year-olds. And, and he would tell them, I believe that you can do greater things than me. Follow me. And so when we see Jesus doing the same with the disciples, it was very much in the context of what was the Jewish culture in his day. The Greek word for a disciple is matetes. Can you help me out? Say this with me. Matetes. Um, this is a Greek lecture right now. It's the only word I'm going to teach you tonight. Matetes. And it actually, it actually means a disciple, a learner, an apprentice, a student. So when we, are in, when we are encouraged and challenged to be disciples, we are supposed to be Jesus' apprentices, his uh, students. The essence of discipleship is in following the teacher. The essence of discipleship is in following the teacher. It's in the art of imitating his life. It's not just about the theory, it's actually about imitating his life. And also in continuing his legacy and then in educating other disciples. Okay, so basically to be a disciple of Jesus as we see it in uh, the first centuries um, um, of the Bible and of the New Testament, of course, in the New Testament, the essence of discipleship is in following the teacher, in the art of imitating his life, and in continuing his legacy and educating other disciples. Now, I think this is incredibly important for us because we are all called to be disciples. We're all called to be followers of Jesus. And this church, in this church, we believe in discipleship. That's in our name. It is in our name. When you say equippers, it actually basically means those who are making disciples. Those who are equipping people to, uh, to live like Jesus. That is the very heart of who we are in this church. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to have uh, lots of Bible scriptures, lots of verses uh, in this series. And I'm going to unpack some of them tonight. Uh, the, the first one we will go to is the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse, uh, verse 26. 
I'm going to start off with this scripture and then we'll continue to uh, quite a few more. Uh, John chapter 12 verse 26. Whoever serves me must follow me. Can we say this together? Whoever serves me must follow me. And then it continues. It says, and where I am, my servant will also be. Where I am, my servant will also be. And my father will honor the one who serves me. Friends, this is a blueprint for discipleship. If you want to serve Jesus, first you have to learn to follow him. Uh, because we actually learn to serve by observing Jesus, by seeing what he does, and by imitating him. Uh, and then uh, it continues, where I am, my servant will be also. Basically, Jesus says, everybody who serves me, everybody who follows me, will, ev will eventually come to the place where I am at right now. And don't ask me where he was. At that point, he knows that he's going to be taking on his cross in a few days from then. So basically, Jesus is getting ready to go on the cross. And he says, friends... I have some bad news to you. I had to, I had to bring this bad news. But whoever serves me, he has to follow me. And where I am right now, my servant will be as well. My disciple will be as well. But then, there is a beautiful promise. And it says, that, and my father will honor the one who serves me. This is a beautiful reward of discipleship. And we'll talk about it much more. My father will honor him who serves me. Friends, I don't know how about you, but I live for that single moment of history. I live for this moment when I actually see Jesus face to face. And the heavenly father will come. And he will place his hand on my head. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. I live for that moment. And, and this, is, this is such a huge thing. We all have to live in light of eternity. We have to live in, uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in light of the fact that we will actually see Jesus face to face. We live in the perspective of eternity, all of us. And I, today and in such time... As, as we're going through right now, it is incredibly important. We don't play any games. We actually, we are here to equip you to actually live for this moment. Somebody should say amen. 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 Uh, another scripture is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Uh, th this is what Peter says. Uh, one of Jesus' disciples, um, he actually says that at the end of his journey, closer to the end of his journey, he says, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. In other words, Jesus is saying, your main calling, friends, is to follow Jesus, basically walking in his footprints. Follow in his steps. We are all asked and invited to basically see where the footprints of Jesus and put our feet into his footprints. It is as easy as that. 
That is the nature of discipleship. Following Jesus, following his steps, seeing what the footprints of Jesus are, and basically by faith and by obedience, placing our feet into those footprints. Now, there is an uh, incredibly uh, visible difference between being a believer and being a disciple. There is a, there is a major shift in my life when I switch from just being a believer in Jesus, somebody who likes Jesus, somebody who likes the idea of Christianity, somebody who likes coming to church and enjoy the goosebumps. And I love the goosebumps. I love the chocolate. I love the coffee in church. I love the music. I love praise and worship. I love the friendships and the atmosphere. Don't get me wrong. I love that. I love the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm totally in love with this. But there is a shift. There is a change. There is an upgrade from that to being a disciple. There is a major shift from being a believer to being a disciple. The Bible even goes as far as to tell us that even the demons believe. Did you know that Satan is a believer? He has a first-hand experience and he is a believer in Jesus. But he's definitely not the follower of Jesus. You know, we're meeting a lot of people and talking to a lot of people. And many of them love the idea of God. Many of them love the idea of, uh, you know, believing and faith. And we live in a spiritual uh, era. Most people have some kind of belief. But hey, there is a vast shift. There is a big difference from being a believer to being a disciple. In the book of Acts chapter 11, there is a story how, verses 25 and 26, there is a story how Barnabas... One of the elders in Jerusalem, he went to the city of Tarsus to look for Saul. You will remember who Saul was. He was the person who persecuted Christians. And, that he, and then he had a major encounter, a major visitation. Uh, an encounter with the glory of God. And he found Christ. And then Barnabas found Paul and he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with church and taught great numbers of people. Let me underline this. They met with the church and taught a great number of people. I wonder how that would happen in Budapest. This was his Antioch. Antioch was a huge city back then, probably 200,000 people. And Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch teaching people in the church. And as a result of that, the Bible says, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And the idea of being called Christians was basically someone who reminds me of Christ. It was like little Christs. You know, I have this beautiful picture on my Instagram. And this is not a promotion to follow. But I have this beautiful picture of three generations. There is me, and then there is my son Toby, and then there is little Jonathan, the grandson. And uh, somebody just told me today that there is actually a resemblance. It's, I'm really bad at those things. I can't, I can't see that. 
But there is a resemblance. There is an expression that is the same in the grandfather and the father and the son. And this is what being a Christian means. It means like you resemble Christ. You, you look like him. You remind people of him. And this is what happens in Antioch. As Barnabas and Paul are teaching the church, at the end, the result is that they all look like Christ. They remind people of Christ. They, they are Christians. They are Christians. They are, they are those who remind people of Christ. They look like Christ. You know, in those days, slavery was a common day thing. It was a part of the economy. It was a common day, uh, a common day evil. But uh, slaves were often given a surname according to their master. So basically, if you were my slaves, you would have my last name. And, and so being a Christian basically means that we are, we are the slaves of Christ. We have a bond with Jesus. We belong to Him. We are connected to Him. We are following Him. Our identity is tied to Jesus. I love this. I love this. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verse 4, there is a picture from eternity. There is a picture that one day will be real. Uh, <clears throat> There are 144,000 people. The Bible says they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Basically, it's the disciples that are already in eternity following the Lamb, following Jesus. And friends, I want, I want, to, I, I want to get us excited about the idea of discipleship. We are supposed to be those that follow the Lamb wherever He goes. That is our lifestyle. That is, that is who we are equipping at Equippers. At the end of our days, we are supposed to be those who actually uh, remind people of Christ. And I want to tell you three things tonight. Uh, uh, I'm going to give you uh, those three things in the beginning, and then I'm going to take you through them. Uh, the, the first thing is that disciples... They get more. Those are the benefits of discipleship. Can you help me out? They get more. They get more. They get more from Jesus. The second thing is disciples, they pay more. That is the cost of discipleship. They what? They pay more. And then number three, disciples, um, <clears throat> they do more. That is the power of discipleship. Disciples, they what? They do more. So they get more, they pay more, and they do more. Help me out. Let's, let's say this again. This is going to be the lesson for tonight. They get more, they pay more, and they do more. Okay? So I'm just going to take you through uh, these three principles of discipleship as an introduction to the series. Here's the first one. If, if you are a disciple of Jesus, not just... Somebody who sympathizes, somebody who is part of the crowd. But if you're actual disciple of Jesus, you actually get more. You get more stuff from him. Uh, how many of you remember the story of Jesus preaching on the mountain? We call it the Sermon of the Mount. That was his manifesto. 
And it starts off by saying that Jesus goes throughout the whole region and he's teaching and preaching and doing wonders, miracles, healings. And then at the end, in Matthew chapter 5, it, it, the Bible says that when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up to a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now, I am totally amazed because there's probably a thousand, maybe multiple thousands of people in the proximity of Jesus. But Jesus sits down and he teaches his disciples. I love it. The others, they overheard the conversation. The others, the big crowd, they were blessed. But Jesus is focusing on the disciples. When you are a disciple of Jesus, you get more, guaranteed. If you are close to him, you get so much more from his blessing, from his presence, from the revelation in the scripture. You get so much more. You know, for Jesus, the disciples were the primary audience. He saw the crowds, but he addressed the disciples. For them... These words had a much um, bigger meaning. It was, a, it was so, so much uh, richer for them. It was not just a philosophy. It was a manual for life. So if you are a disciple of Jesus, you get more. And we also see in multiple ways uh, in, in uh, the New Testament that when Jesus was teaching parables, you know, he would often use anecdotes and parables and stories and illustrations to teach an important truth. And as he was doing that, the people were like, what? They didn't get it. He would be saying stories and the Bible talks about maybe 10 or 20 parables and, and they had no idea what he was talking about. But listen to this, Matthew 13, um, he, was, uh, he, he went out of the house, sat by the lake, big crowds gathered, and then he told them many things in parables. One of them was the parable of the sower. And then verse 36, I'm going to skip the whole passage. Then he left the crowd and he went into the house. So like, yeah, church is finished, guys. I've done my message. He goes into the house. And his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable. So it's like they came inside into his living room and, and uh, basically they would ask the question, so what was that all about? Nobody got it. Can you explain to us? If you are a disciple of Jesus, you get more. You get more of the revelation. You get more of what Jesus does. Another story. What was the first miracle that Jesus did? Turning water into wine. yeah, And he revealed the glory of God as he did that. A beautiful thing. Uh, one day I want to see a replay in heaven of that story. And I want to taste that wine. Hallelujah. Taste the wine. But hey friends. Uh, on the third day of the we wedding. John chapter 2. On the, th on the third day of a wedding took place in Cana, in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So Jesus gets the invitation to come to the wedding, and guess who comes with him? The gang, the disciples, all the guys. And you know why? Because he's going to do the first miracle, and he's going to teach them a lesson. 
It's basically like, hey guys, this is how you do it. One day I'm going to preach that message as well. Um, and I can see the expression on their face. They had the front row seats. As Jesus does the miracle. They are right there. They observe. And they're thinking like one day I'm going to do this. One day I'm going to do this. They get coaching in doing signs and wonders. Uh, here's another one in Luke chapter 8. Jesus comes to the house of Jairus. His daughter just died. And there is people that are crying and they are incredibly, you know, they're, they're suffering, they're sad and the parents are there. And the Bible says that Jesus did not let anyone go in except Peter, John and James and then the parents. Why? He wanted to have his, his, his disciples a first-hand experience of this miracle. Because he would be coaching them. If your disciples say this with me, you get more. Come on, help me out. You get more as a disciple of Jesus. Yeah, so that's basically, um, that's basically it. Here's the second thing. is If you're a disciple, you pay more. That is the cost of discipleship. Uh, now that is, the, that, is the, uh, that is the heavy part in discipleship. We all love the miracle coaching. We all love uh, the revelation. We all, lo we all love the aha moments of discipleship. But there is also a price we pay. Let me, uh, let me get a few scriptures to you. The first one I'm going to mention is Matthew 19 verse 27. This is what Peter says. It was a very honest expression. Peter says, we have left everything to follow you, Jesus. What then will be there for us? How many of you ask Jesus this question? It's like, Jesus, I gave up everything for you. What's, what's there in it for me? Now, see, it was not a, it was not a prideful, arrogant calculation. It was a factual remark. He basically stated the fact that, Jesus, I actually, I actually left everything for you. And I followed you. I ventured into the adventure with you. I have, I have left the comfort zone. I have risked my life to become your follower. What then will be there for us? See, they left their businesses, their families, their familiar environments. That was the price they paid. And there is a story in Matthew 19 of um, a guy that we normally call the rich young ruler. Now, for me, this is an incredible story because it was a, it was a story about this young guy who was an influential, non-corrupted public figure. There's not too many of them. He was, thank, uh, thank you, Toby, at least one person left. It, it's an oxymoron, right? An influential, non-corrupted public figure. Um, and, uh, and so he comes to him and is like, teacher, tell me what should I do if I want eternal life? And Jesus looked him into the eye and the Bible says he loved him. He saw that purity in his eyes. He loved him. It was genuine. It was the real thing. And then Jesus said, okay, so if you want to be perfect, hey, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have a treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. 
And this guy, this influential, non-corrupted public figure, is like, well, I wasn't expecting this. I'm not ready to make that kind of sacrifice. Now, uh, to be frank, Jesus did not ask all of his followers to do the same sacrifice. But he knows where your button is. And he's going to push your button. For this guy, this was his sensitive thing. This was his idol. This was the button that Jesus pushed, the sensitive spot. And, you know, it strikes me that for this guy, he got the same invitation as the other 12. He could have written one of the Gospels. He could have carried the Gospel into the nations of the world. He had the same invite as Paul and Peter and James and Andrew and those guys. He could have been one of the 12. But he said, sorry Jesus, I'm not ready to make that kind of commitment. You know, for me in my, it's, it's going to be 30 years of ministry very soon. One of the hardest things in my life in my ministry, one of the hardest conversations are those when I see people back off. When they, when they get it and they are like, I'm not, I'm not ready to make this kind of commitment. Um, I had a conversation like this about three years ago with a guy um, who used to be one of the youth leaders in one of the cities, uh, uh, and uh, <clears throat> and he was living a life a life of compromise, and so I invited him for coffee and I challenged him and I spoke into his life and I said, I think God has given you a season of grace to put your life back into order. Six months later, this guy is in prison. Uh, this last year, one of the saddest thing in my life this last year was uh, we were ministering to this one guy. He was married, um, a beautiful family, a few kids, came from a really tough background, but Jesus rescued him, and there was a powerful redemption story. But he was sort of sliding back into a life of compromises. And we had a conversation with him one night, came to our house, ministering to him. Uh, and that night... Um, he backed off. He was like, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not ready to go. I'm not ready to go all the way. Three days later, he found himself in prison. Those are one of the most painful uh, experiences in Christian leadership. When I, when I see somebody that is so close, like this uh, influential, non-corrupted public figure. So close, you're so close. And then he backed off. And of course, most of the time, 99% of the time, it's not as critical as the two guys I mentioned. I just said that to scare you off. No. <laughs> but those are some of the hardest conversations. You know, Jesus said it plainly. He says in Matthew 16, 24, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, that's the cost of discipleship. That is the dark side of discipleship. So, the, number one was disciples, they what? They get more. Number two, disciples, they pay more. 
But finally, this is the encouraging part. Disciples, they actually do more. And that is the power of discipleship. See, because with the call of a disciple comes a new authority. When you become a follower of Jesus, his disciple, your authority rises up to a whole new level. Amen. Your authority is boosted. Um, Mark uh, chapter 3. Uh, this is what uh, Jesus goes on the mountainside and he calls to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. In other words, he prays and, the, and then he selects and appoints his disciples. And the following sentence says, And to have authority to drive out demons. See, with, the, with discipleship there comes an authority and mandate. A power. A spiritual power. See, every born-again believer has authority. If you have Jesus inside of you, if you have Holy Spirit inside of you, you have authority. Greater is He that is in you that he is, that is in the world. That's what the Bible says. Amen? But if you are a true follower of Jesus, it's like that authority is getting real. In discipleship, it is an authority that is based on living with Him and being sent by Him. In, in the city of Ephesus, there were some believers and uh, <clears throat> they were trying to cast out demons. And this one occasion, the sons of Sceva, they get this conversation with the demons that they are trying to cast out. And the demons, the enemy saying to them, hey, Paul, I know. Jesus, oh, we definitely know Jesus, but who are you? And these sons of Skeva, they ran off, beaten up by those demons. But if you are a disciple of Jesus, your authority is boosted. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus is after resurrection. He's, he's uh, meeting with his disciples and he says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He breathed it on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Disciples, they get a fresh dose of spiritual power and authority and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Here is another scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are ambassadors. If you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ, His disciple, you carry the authority of His kingdom. That is what ambassadors are. They carry the authority of the nation, of the country, the state they represent. And I want to say this. With great commission come great testimonies. With great commission come great testimonies. Jesus says, Mark 16, 20. Uh, the Bible says in Mark 16, 20. Disciples, the disciples went out. They preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed His word by signs that, that accompanied, it, accompanied it. So they are sent out. They preach the gospel and signs and wonders, healings, testimonies are happening. See, God didn't leave them without help. 
He's like, yeah, go guys, spread my message, be my ambassadors. But as you do it, I'm going to do my miracles through you. My power is on you. So discipleship gives you the courage to do the unimaginable. Things that are outside of your temperament, outside of your skills, outside of your experience. In, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, uh, there's this beautiful story how Peter and uh, John are called um, into the court. And, you know, they try to punish them for preaching the gospel. But this is what it says. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that these guys, they were unschooled, ordinary guys. Just normal guys. Peter and John, fishermen. They were astonished and they noticed that these men had been with Jesus. That's the result of discipleship. They acted like Jesus, full of his power. It was striking how their speech resembled the speech of Jesus. You know, friends, the best Bible school is discipleship. When you follow Jesus walking in his footprints, that is the best Bible school. Because then you don't preach theory. They, they were astonished and they noticed that these guys were, were with Jesus. Disciples can live like Jesus. They have a precedent. They have a template. They can follow a model. Yeah, come on. So as we close tonight, let's, let's remember. I'm going to challenge you in this for the next few Sundays. Discipleship is, about, discipleship is about getting more. It's about paying more. And it's also about doing more. As a disciple, uh, you, actually, you actually resemble Jesus. Yes, it does cost. It's costly, but it's rewarding. And I believe that God is actually, uh, He's actually upgrading us individually and corporately as well. He's, he's, he wants to put us on another level as His followers. He wants to equip you to live your life to the fullest as a disciple of Jesus. Because there is so much more we need to do. There is so much more that He has for us. <clears throat> In Matthew 28... This is known as the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. That is our mandate. Wow. There is, there is no other plan for the salvation of the people in this earth other than making disciples. I'm going to talk more about this in the future. Now, what would you do if you knew you have three years to save the planet? For Jesus, he took 12 men and he turned them into disciples. Can you imagine? Can you look around for a moment? Can you just look around for a moment? It's legal. Don't worry. <laughs> just look around. There's more people than 12 in this room only. Significantly more than 12. If Jesus could do that with 12 guys, what could he do in Budapest with this crowd? 
if we are not just the crowd, but we are disciples. We're his followers. In 19, sorry, in 1896, there was a pastor whose name was Charles Sheldon. Charles Sheldon. And on this one, on, on this one Sunday, uh, he preached a message uh, and he challenged the church that they would follow Jesus' example, a very similar one uh, to what I'm preaching tonight. And he basically challenged people to live like Jesus would live in their place. Asking the question, what would Jesus do? WWJD. He challenged them that in every situation, his flock, his church, they would ask this question, what would Jesus do? And it actually, uh, you know, this is more than a hundred years ago. They would print his message in the local paper. And I'm told that over 30 million were printed uh, from this message. It became, it, it went viral before there was any internet. 30 million copies of this sermon. What would Jesus do? And there was actually a, uh, a book that became incredibly popular on the story, real thing. In his steps. It, it revolutionized uh, the Christian world. And I want to leave this message with the same challenge for you guys, for us, for this next seven days. I want you to ask the question what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? How would Jesus live in my shoes? And then follow, then do it. And he's going to empower you with that. I wonder if we could all stand tonight. Hallelujah. <clears throat> I'm not going to give the, uh, not going to give the discipleship call tonight. Because this is the kind of call that you have to answer to Jesus alone. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who wants to be a disciple um, because you have to do the answer to Jesus tonight. But I am challenging you, friends. I'm challenging us as a church, equippers. We are here about, we are all about equipping people to become disciples, devoted followers of Jesus. We are equipping people to actually live their lives by faith, ministering to others, changing this world. We are here to change the world. Not in our own power, in our own strength, but through the presence of Jesus, following His model. Um, we're not here to stroke you and to just feed you to become spiritually fat and overloaded. We are actually to equip you to become the disciples of Jesus. Amen, church? There were not too many amens tonight. There were not too many like, yeah, come on, this is exciting. But uh, I want to encourage you that God is about to do some, something powerful through your life. Um, 
Yeah, come on. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us as a church in this prayer of faith to just commit our lives to him and to be his disciples, all right? So you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to come to the front for this. Do this just in response to Jesus by faith. Yeah, come on. Yeah, so how about we pray? Um, just, we, yeah, just begin to pray for a moment and you can raise your hands to Jesus tonight. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.